if our goal here is to just check the box from a compliance perspective, okay, that's easy. Like, let's just go and do the little things to the letter of the law to make sure that we've got all of that stuff. But if we're looking to meaningfully reduce risk, well, that's a whole different ballgame. We need to have, you know, much deeper conversations about things and a much more frank understanding about what our risks actually are. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Paramify podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Scott. And once again, we're going to talk about InfoSec. Today's guest is a friend of mine, Ryan Jameson. He's a veteran in the domain with about two decades worth of exper experience in InfoSec, IT risk management, IT audit. He's also the mastermind and founder of Knit Security. Ryan, it is great to have you with us. It is great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, so let's let's dive straight in, Ryan. Initial sparks, motivations, paint a picture for us. Those early days, what were they like? What got you into IT audit, risk management, infosec? Tell us about it. Yeah, it was a, it was an accident. Uh, I had actually been working in IT for a long time. I uh, kind of started my career in the army. Uh, got out of the army, uh, doing like technology work in the army. Got out, went to school, went to ASU, got a job doing IT work for a company, and then worked my way right out of that job. So I was uh, I was looking for work, and I had a friend who worked at American Express who was a technology auditor there and said, hey, you should come and work with us. And I said, I don't know anything about audit. And he said, that's totally fine. And I said, how do you even, how do you apply for a job that you clearly don't know how to do. And he's like, that's, it's okay. Just come and talk to us. So I went and had the conversation and explained to everybody that I don't know anything about auditing. And they're like, it's fine. We'll teach you the audit piece. We just need somebody who can actually speak technology to all of the engineers and IT people that we're dealing with on a regular basis. And I said, okay, that sounds like a deal. And I landed at, uh, at American Express doing IT audit for three years. And true to their word, they taught me all sorts of things about risk and control and compliance and all of that kind of business side things that oftentimes people in the industry tend to forget about. Yeah, we have kind of a similar circle there because I, I had experience with those same people. They're, they're awesome. They are. Are you talking about John by any chance? Uh, no, John came later. Man. Later. John came later. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's yeah, but, uh, you know, Diane Santiago was the VP there and, and she was, you know, part of the interview panel and it was just like, okay, cool, VP, I'm kind of nervous here. You know, this is like my second legitimate job after the Army. Um, but she was great and led a great team and, you know, a lot of folks there helped really educate me on what was going on. Certainly, Will Paulson was, was a big factor there, um, you know, and, and a lot of the rest of the team. Uh, it was just a great place to work. Yep. Diane, uh, what an amazing leader. She's great. Okay, man. So uh, they they liked your experience in tech, which, you know, a lot of people go straight into IT audit. Because for me, I had a technology background, but I went, my first real job was going and doing audits for, for big companies, right? So we were a lot of times, most of the people doing audits were just interviewers, right? They're, they're, they got to play dumb. You don't really understand anything. So that must have been cool to have at least some understanding of tech when you're doing the audits, because a lot of times 
people in GRC, they're they're getting exposure to technology through audit. Yeah. So and that was that was part of the the bargain, right? It was not just me talking with engineers, but also communicating all of my technical knowledge to my fellow auditors, uh, many of which, to your point, didn't have a whole lot of technology experience, right? This was their first foray into nerd land. And so they're having conversations with these engineers who have built and maintain, you know, a massive global payments network. Uh, and, and it's a really difficult hill to climb if you don't necessarily know some of the fundamentals around technology. So- totally. Wandering into GRC actually worked out really well for me, um, A, because this was 2007 when I joined. So it, it also turns out that a, a really great place to hide during a major global recession is an IT audit department. So uh, yeah. not a lot of firing happening in that neck of the woods. Yeah, I mean, you can't. Yeah, it's really if you're if you're an auditor, you can always find somewhere to work because assured yeah. Is even more important today than it was in 2007. I would oh, say, right? Completely. You know, and and more still, right? Over the next uh, over the next 20 years, and in fact, a lot of the leaders that you see that are CISOs today, a lot of them got to start or have a big, big portion of their career focused in GRC. Oh, because, totally. I mean, because it it helps you. I mean. As someone who's worked all over the map, uh, you know, doing pure play security work, running security programs, having done IT audit, GRC things, uh, working in IT risk at, at EY, you know, looking at all of that sort of stuff, the leaders that are the most excellent are not the ones that are the most technical per se, right? They have a strong and, and deep understanding about how the business works and about how to manage risks appropriately within that context. And like having a GRC background is like gives you all of that. Yes. I well, that is well said. That is well said. And it's curious, right? Because it seems it's kind of counterintuitive to a lot of people. At first. They would think yeah. oh yeah, you know everything there is to know about security, but security is so vast. It covers so many things that yeah. you, you know. They, they touch yeah, I know people that are capable of like hacking F-22s and doing really, really intense security. And they absolutely could run circles around a lot of people. But in terms of, you know, the, the vast strategy that needs to be involved, that's not necessarily where their strong suit is going to be. Yeah, I mean, I recently gave a lecture at CU uh, in the University of Colorado at Boulder. Oh, um, yeah, because uh, Doctor Ryan, pardon? Did you I did talk not talk? To <laughs> he wasn't there. He didn't he care to attend the the cybersecurity lecture that I gave to the computer science classes. Um, but it was kind of a, a survey of where you can go in cybersecurity, and the the short version was you can pretty much go anywhere because everybody relies on technology to get their jobs done these days. And because technology touches everything, that's where all the value is. That's where criminals are going to go. And so there's needs across all industries to be secure and to be able to manage your risks for using the the technologies that we all rely on on a daily basis. That's awesome. Okay, man. So throughout this journey, there must have been some absolute security fails. What are some? I mean, I know I have mine. Sometimes they're my fault. 
Sometimes they're not my fault and I just know about them because I audited them. And, you know, you just, it's kind of a comedy of errors that, you know, the career in IT security. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not going to throw anybody else under the bus besides myself. So no, you can also anonymize, right? That, that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, they may see this podcast and I don't want to air anybody else's dirty laundry, right? Okay. So, but, but I do maintain that uh, it, it is a rite of passage for anybody who's worked in technology to take down production or something similar. Uh, you know, it, it, it just comes with the territory, you know. I think uh, an amusing security fail on my part uh, that I will happily own is uh, in a a role where I was working at a major video game company. Uh, I had been, I'd taken the bull by the horns and was executing a vulnerability management program and was running the entire kind of like across the world, running vulnerability scans and doing all this stuff. And uh, it turns out that I may have been slightly overeager because I managed to take down the entire development environment for all of the video game company, right? So basically, anybody who was developing for consoles uh, who had a machine up that I scanned, I crashed the whole thing. So no more development against a major video game title. Uh, Thanks, Ryan. We really appreciate it. So, um, but in my defense... Uh, it wasn't just that I was the silly security guy who was overzealous. They had actually written some custom tools that would just automatically execute any commands that were issued on a particular port. Uh, and so after some conversations and we've discovered why everything crashed, we we made the decision that that maybe wasn't a best practice from a security perspective and that they should perhaps do a, a little bit more validation about what's coming through the pipe. Hey man, a successful DDoS, right? That's that's pretty awesome, man. That is DDoS, yes. And well, I mean, that probably accounts for the majority of DDoSs, right? Or and and fails, right? And is inadvertent, right? Yes, there's nefarious purposes in security. Yes, but a lot of times it's just like, oh, maybe I guess that was a bad idea to have that open on all the ports you know so i mean okay so when something that huge happens right i mean everybody's upset like you know the management is screaming our pet heads are falling off and you know everybody's just so mad when that happens so there's some root cause analysis if you could go back to that one what do you ascribe it to what what was that like when you're saying okay what actually went wrong well i mean I had been coordinating with teams to, because you don't just magically start doing vulnerability scans. You know, there's a lot of pre-work that needs to be done in order to be successful. You need to make sure that you understand the network and you can reach out and touch all of the things. You need to make sure that you've got the right permissions. You need to make sure that you're not going to break production. Um, It turns out, though, that, you know, you can do a lot of that work ahead of time and make sure that people are aware of what's going to happen and still break production. Uh, or in this case, the development environment. So, um, you know, it happened. And so then we had to stop and think about, well, what would cause this? Because they had, they didn't know that it was going to be the vulnerability scans that were going to do this. All of a sudden, their machines all just locked up and started crashing. And it would happen at a studio here, and then it would happen at another studio, and then it happened at another studio. And they're like, what is this thing? Uh, eventually, they came to the conclusion that it was my fault. Uh, and so I had to stop all of all of the scans, but then we had to sit down and, and like have conversations about, okay, well, what's going on? So let's, let's just find a host and throw stuff at it and see 
you know, why is this vulnerability scan breaking these sorts of things? And then we were able to kind of whittle it down and say, oh, okay. So when we do port scan on this particular port and we send this particular set of data, the machine just falls over. And that's what's causing it. So well, what, why is it listening on this port? And then it was the tools team that came and said, oh, by the way, that's how we interface with the PlayStations. And uh, yeah, then it's like, okay, well, tools team, we should probably remediate that. And once we get the tools team to fix that that particular issue, uh, we were we were okay. You know, uh, we were able to move ahead and and continue to do our scans, and then you know get more good data about what was going on in the environment. So, you know, thankfully, calm heads prevailed. I wasn't fired on the spot, so uh, we were able to have good, reasonable discussions about what we needed to do to you know overall protect things. That's good. That's good that they didn't. Yeah, fired me on the spot. Yeah, I was happy. <laughs> yeah, it's all learning, right? Okay, man. So you've had a lot of experience in this area. So when we look at the three different areas of InfoSec assessment or risk assessment in general, there's three different areas. There's planning, there's executing the assessment, and then there's reporting. What do you feel is the area where people most struggle when it comes to doing these assessments that you're talking about planning always fail to plan i mean and i think part of it is because people are eager to get started they want to dive in they want to address the thing but and, and so there's some level of impatience that comes along with it and so people oftentimes jump into assessments without a very clear idea of what what's going to happen what are we going to get out of it um part of the reason that we do these assessments uh, is to assess risk clearly and understand what's going on. Uh, and so we oftentimes take a myopic view of what a scope should be. And I think it's much more important to have conversations with a lot of stakeholders at the beginning to create a very clear and robust plan about what it is that we're going to be doing, how we are going to go ahead and do it. And most importantly, what do we expect to get out of this? Like, what is our goal here? It's not just to write a report. That report has meaning it's going to be doing something. It's going to be a lever to get something done. So let's define what that thing is at the outset and then work our way backwards and create a plan to be able to execute all of the things that need to be done to make sure that that report is as impactful as we want it to be. Yeah. You mentioned impatience, impatience with it. What do, you, what do you think drives that impatience with you know planning? And I, I have my thoughts, but yeah. I mean, everybody wants to get things to done. Um, and the longer you sit around and talk about it, uh, the more people feel like done is never going to happen. And I think that, you know, a lot of people have an idea of what it is that they want to see done. And they don't feel that us talking about that, you know, helps us get, a, get any closer to that. But what actually happens a lot of times is when you start getting people together, a lot of people have very different ideas about what's going to get done. And that causes problems because if you don't have that level of agreement at the outset, you know, you're going to run into a lot of political barriers. You're going to run into process problems. You're going to find that you don't have all of the things that you need to actually get the thing done in the first place. So I think that impatience is just a natural byproduct of, of the pace that everybody moves at, which is, you know, close to plaid at this point. And, you know, it, it is, it, it's, we all want to get stuff done. And so, Getting people to slow down for a minute and make sure that we've got a good plan 
um, is difficult in many cases, but I think it's just absolutely vital to the success of the project. Yeah. They, they just want to get it done. I like that, right? You want the dopamine. We have an affinity. To, we want a green check mark right next to the task. And when we see that, we go, oh, yes, I must be doing something worthwhile. Right. This must have been important because it's on this dashboard and everybody clearly must have agreed that this was the outcome that we wanted. And this this must have been exactly what we planned. And oh, my gosh, but really, we're not even addressing the right risks most of the time. And so there's a lot of waste and there's a lot of en- enmity, right, that that gets created because of that, because I think. A lot of times on the GRC side, I'll say for me, I've had experiences where I haven't done planning really well. And people go like, what is the point of this exercise that we're doing? Yeah. And then it just repeats itself. Yeah. You know, from an audit perspective, putting my audit hat back on and, and doing kind of those types of reviews, certainly now, you know, doing what I'm doing as a VC, so I use a lot of those same skills. It's come in and assess. Um, okay, well, what are we assessing? Uh, what are we trying to assess? What do we want to get out of the assessment? Uh, are we trying to identify risk? Are we trying to throw somebody under the bus? Are we trying to make a better product? Are we trying to meet some regulatory compliance checkmark thing, right? What, what's the goal here? Let's talk about those things. Um, and that gets us to where we want to be because then you can create the appropriate work units that, that need to be, that need to be done. Um, you know, if our goal here is to just check the box from a compliance perspective, okay, that's easy. Like, let's just go and do the little things to the letter of the law to make sure that we've got all of that stuff. But if we're looking to meaningfully reduce risk, well, that's a whole different ballgame. We need to have, you know, much deeper conversations about things and a much more frank understanding about what our risks actually are. Yeah. This is, I don't mean to be like loaded in this question, but and so I'll just say what my opinion is, is my opinion is that my opinion is that people tend to sometimes put compliance over actual security yeah. in terms of the priority. I don't know if you've seen that. And I think it goes back to, we just want to get it done. We we don't care about this problem. The 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 people that are supposed to be championing security haven't done a good enough job at convincing people that this is win-win if we do this correctly. Yeah, I mean, the security has a cost. It costs money, it costs time. Um, Absolutely. It, and, you know, the, the benefits there are difficult for people to understand because, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of times security is there to make nothing happen, right? You're, you're there to effectively prevent things from, from even occurring in the first place. And I think that oftentimes people who work in security are really good at explaining how things can go horribly wrong, but I think that they don't necessarily take the next step to think about how does this functionally help the company? Uh, how are we? How can we make security a win-win uh, and actually like an enablement feature for things? Like a great example for this is single sign-on. Single sign-on makes everybody's life easier. Period. And we should be doing it from a security perspective. And so if you're not doing single sign-on and you need to convince people to do single sign-on, like don't pitch it as, hey, we're going to prevent all of these bad things from happening. Pitch it as, hey, look, we can make everybody's life easier because they don't have to have a zillion passwords anymore. They can just click and go. Uh, that, that makes life 
you know, everybody understands that. And that's like, hey, great, that's a win. And you get some security fund on top of it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, in my experience, you can, a developer gets to develop features really fast. In the beginning days of Paramify, we were just moving so fast, developing feature after feature, and it's just so fast. But then when you have to implement security, now you have to enable FIPS. You have to terminate SSL on all of these different nodes, and now you have to implement uh, CIS level two benchmarks, and now you need to implement STIGs, and are you doing those right? You literally don't see anything different in the app. In fact, sometimes the app is going to start breaking because you know it's not enabled correctly, and so I can understand both as a developer and as on the InfoSec side, I've experienced the pain on both sides. It's really, really hard. And so it's important that when we're collaborating with others that we really put ourselves in their shoes. Yeah. Really, really important. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. I did want to touch back on that yeah. earlier comment about like compliance versus security. And I think that many teams do just shoot for compliance because they don't necessarily understand the risks that the compliance guidelines are there to address. Yeah. So... Compliance is easy. I say compliance is easy because it's you check the box, right? Are we doing what the box says? The box says you have to do, you have to have a vulnerability program. Okay, great. So we buy a scanner, we deploy it, and then off we go. Great. The box is checked. Right. Okay. But thinking about are we managing risk appropriately is a different, a different question. You know, and if we think about how we manage vulnerabilities as an example, it is much more nuanced than just deploy the scanner right? There's a lot more to it. And I think it's a lot easier for people to wrap their head around checking a box item versus a meaningful execution of risk reduction uh, for an organization. Um, that That's just my take on it. But I always enjoy having conversations with compliance people about the risks that they're attempting to address uh, because it definitely goes, thing, things definitely go off script at that point. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%, man. Yeah, so some of the things that are like, when I think of compliance, I don't know what you think about, but I think about security questionnaires. Oh, they're the bane that always existed. Yeah, how effective are these, really? Are they ever? Or what, what, do, what do you, yeah, let's put, what are the virtues, what are the virtues of them? And where, you know, what is the future of security questionnaires? I, I feel like they're not going away. I wish they were, but I wish they would go away. Uh, but it is it is a completely externalized cost. So Ooh. to because nobody the people that send them out like they don't have to answer them clearly. Like I just generate this massive questionnaire with you know fifteen tabs and like hundreds of questions asking all of the details about your security program, and it's a pain to get all of that information together. But nobody that's on the, the sending side has to deal with any of that pain. Okay, just send them out and off you go. They have no skin in the game. Oh my no. gosh. That's that's the issue. That That's what makes everybody irate. Yeah. It's that. They have no yeah. skin in the game. No. And then they, the, they come and second guess all of the answers that you worked so hard to provide. Uh, so yeah, there is little incentive for the people who are sending those things out to change what they're doing. Uh, because they're not the ones that are negatively impacted. So it's unfortunate. But there there are there are ways to shortcut that, I think, on the receiving side. Okay. Um, 
And, you know, that's what I think, you know, we should all aspire to do. Uh, so we don't have to deal with the pain of the 250 question questionnaire of pain. Yeah. Tell, tell me, what are some of those uh, methods that you've seen as being effective? So I think first and foremost, having a policy library that is um, shareable. So, so basically thinking about, you know, they want to understand, are you guys asleep at the wheel or do you have a robust and, and complete security program there? And I think that having documentation and policies and standards uh, that shows the robustness of your overall program is a super important way to be able to front load all of that stuff. Because if you're a service provider, you can basically hand that stuff off to the compliance team at the outset and say, here you go. Here's everything that you need to be able to validate your concerns that we are doing things the right way. And all of that documentation should generally be curtailed uh, for the specific services that you're providing. So your sales team effectively can go into these discussions armed already with all of the information that that your prospect you know is going to ask for you. Yep. I think a second way to do that is is getting your getting your certifications. You know, a SOC two goes a long way. Your ISO twenty seven thousand one cert goes a long way. Uh, you know, that means that somebody else has come to check your work, and and having that seal of approval oftentimes lets you get away uh, or get around filling out the the questionnaire of doom. Sometimes, yeah. And sometimes when you're dealing with the enterprise, it's like, oh, good. We expect you to have that. Now we're going to do our detailed risk assessment. So if you're doing something with a bank, right, like a huge bank, right, that's, yeah, um, they're going to have their thing. And then obviously if you get into like DOD or, or you know, federal government, that's why FedRAMP is so important. That's uh, one of our focus areas, state ramp, yeah. tax ramp, all of those things are really, really important that you mentioned. Yeah, I think that, you know, coming to the table with all of your ducks in a row helps, you know, eliminate a lot of the issues related to the questionnaires of, of pain. Um, and I think that, that, you know, teams are incentivized internally, you know, and one of the things that I try to do with my clients is to help them get to whatever those goals are. So yeah. are your clients all in the federal space? Okay, great. Well, then let's make sure that we're engineering everything in alignment with these guidelines. So that way you can just hand over the documentation as part of your sales cycle and say, here you go. Like we do the security things that we know you're going to ask us. Yeah. Like the absence of those things, not having your ducks in a row, then the scrutiny goes up really high versus yeah. if you've got a plan and you said, Hey, we got this. We Here's even some of the things that we're working on. We haven't yet implemented this agent that makes sure that all of these settings are implemented on everything every little box but you know what we're working on it and here's the plan and this is how we're deploying that you know having that ahead just eliminates a lot of the scrutiny and the trepidation kind of melts away at that yeah. point and you can enable that trust i i agree and, and that's something that i oftentimes remind my clients of is you don't have to be perfect like no company out there is perfect no entity is completely secure and just because you don't have a component of an overall security program doesn't mean that you're going to lose the deal. Certainly don't make up things about it. Just be frank and say, we understand what the risk is. And, you know, like you said, we're working towards addressing that in the future or, you know, alternatively, you know, we have compensating controls or that's a risk that generally we don't face based on the way that we operate or the services that we provide. So it's not relevant to make, you know, to, to ensure that we've got controls in that space. Yeah. There really shouldn't be 
like a fear where we're where we're having to, you know, obfuscate the truth. There's those that want to appear to be good and those who actually want to be good. And I think that in the GRC space where it's really the focus on the latter, we really want to be good. We want to do the right thing. It enables so much trust. There's really no need to fake that we're perfect because it's not. Yeah. Security is impossible to get to 100% because if yeah. you did that, you no one would want to work for you. Well, you wouldn't be able to get any work done. Yeah. So, you know, part of the business is accepting risk, right? Risk. Businesses accept risk to make money. Like that's how they operate. So we need to be in tune with that. And some risks are acceptable and some risks aren't. But again, it comes back to we need to be business enablers more than we need to be doctor now. Yeah. This is really, I'm really enjoying this, Ryan. Let's Let's uh, shift gears. You mentioned what you're doing at NIT. So moving on to NIT security, clearly you didn't just start a company to be like everyone else. So as a VC, so how is your approach different? What made you initiate NIT security? Tell me about that. Yeah. So, you know, it comes back to a lot of the compliance pieces here. People, people are like, okay, I know I got to meet this compliance framework. Um, and I'm just going to go color by numbers. And that gives the illusion of security, uh, but it doesn't actually get people to where they need to be, you know, from a risk reduction perspective. And so my approach here at, at NIT is really first and foremost to understand how the business works. You know, oftentimes in our conversations, you know, as we kick off engagements, I ask, okay, tell me how you make money here. Uh, and from a security person, that is not a question that most people are expecting. So it's really about let's let's figure out how your company works, right? You you make money, you sell widgets, you you provide a service, whatever that thing is. So let's talk about how that process works. Let's talk about the business process that actually exists that drives all of that stuff together. Let's talk about all of the components that are required to make that thing go. You know, do you have critical you know reliance on a on a vendor? Do you rely on a single individual to make something happen? You know, where are our points of failure that we need to be concerned about? So we map through kind of how the company works uh, and how the company provides its services. And then we really focus on how do we make sure that that is protected? Because security is worthless if we're not protecting the whole enterprise of making money in the first place. Right. So at NIT, really, what I try to be able to drive forward is a, a cooperative relationship to provide security consulting for the core aspects of the business. And ways that'll make sure that things will be easier going forward. So single sign-on is a great example of that sort of thing. But really, it's a, that focus on the business. It's not about checking the box. Now, many of our clients certainly need to be compliant with certain things, and that's great. Uh, and we work to make sure that the compliance requirements align with how the company itself makes money. And we try to put in security controls and, and build out projects uh, that will help the company itself both be compliant and do that whole money-making thing. Right. One of the boons for security is the fact that compliance is required for if you want to be a cloud service provider and you're doing business with any regulated entity or anything that has sensitive data, they have to have compliance. So it that tends to be why there's a focus on compliance. And so I like how you kind of mold, your, your strategies kind of are are tailored to the unique needs of the company focused mostly on how to first and foremost is 
how does the business make money? That's great. Yeah. And, and it helps, right? It's, it's a lot easier to start talking about core components of security, things that normally would, nobody wants to touch with a 10 foot cattle prod. You know, when you can, when you can basically pivot that and say, we're doing this in order to protect your revenue stream here. And that protects these assets that you know you need to be able to make the money or provide the services, right? That changes the top context of the, of the conversation completely. Yeah, totally. Maybe they would like interact with a 10 foot cattle pride. It's almost the same, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so with tech advancements, man, uh, AI is weaving its way into most domains. And so how are you seeing your clients incorporate AI into their security strategies? Or are they, or are they not thinking about it? Tell me. You know, it's it's a mixed bag out there. I think a lot of people want to get on the AI train, sure. but it's still really early. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand the pros or the cons of that. And they're still trying to figure a lot of that stuff out. And so, you know, my approach is based on kind of what the client is looking to be able to achieve. So there are certain circumstances where AI makes an absolute total amount of sense. Uh, like it's a slam dunk. Let's go do that. In other cases, it's like, it's a cool toy, but it doesn't belong in this particular space. And we, should, we shouldn't try to over-engineer solutions that we can make as simple as possible. And AI is just going to overcomplicate things. Yeah. These are all like just, we haven't told Ryan about any of these questions, so feel free to, we, we don't have to talk about them. But some of those slam dunk scenarios, what, what are some of those that you've, you've seen? So I think from, uh, you know, thinking about how AI can be leveraged within an organization, the slam dunks are how do we allow our employees to use AI to further enhance their ability to, to do their day-to-day jobs? Sure. Okay. Because a lot of jobs out there are a bit rote. And so wherever we can use machines to effectively increase our efficiency, we should. We shouldn't be using AI to replace people. We should be using AI to make people's jobs, you know, a lot easier so they can go and do the fun stuff. Um, yeah. Iron Man suits, right? Give up exactly. the Iron Man suits, right? So you can get more done and you can focus more on what is most important. Because I would say... By and large, the most rote aspect of InfoSec is the compliance portion, especially the documentation. I mean, I, I, yeah. I'm so passionate about that. So that's where we're completely focused, right, is how do we make it so we give the correct documentation to the people who need to see it? So I get it, right? If you have a system that's talking to Nippernet, there is an ISSO that needs to understand how... SSO is implemented, how FIPS mode is enabled, right? To make sure I get that they need to do that and they need to be able to understand how this applies to IA5 enhancement one and how it applies to SI16. We need to be able to discuss those things, but the problem is, is the cost of maintaining that becomes just so, so difficult. But then with the advent of AI in tools that are coming out, we can just basically eliminate that pain or make it so little compared to what it used to be. I mean, managing this in Word documents, managing that in SharePoint or in Google Docs. I mean, yes, if we have a Google Doc 
that where we're just collaborating on an agenda or a plan for something for, for an audit plan, right? That's fine. But like an entire system security plan or like all of the policies and all of the procedures and managing evidences, no thanks. No thanks. And thank you, AI, for coming in, right? Yes. And helping us out. I, throughout my career, I've, I've always maintained that humans should be doing interesting work. And if it's not interesting work, we should offload it to the machines. So wherever we can do that with AI, wherever we can say this particular piece is not something that I would want to do day in, day out, um, let's give it to the machines. We should automate these things. You know, don't do anything more than three times. If you do it the first time, then you've done it, right? Do it the second time. It's like, okay, this is becoming a pattern. The third time you're like, all right, I should write code to be able to solve this problem. And so that way I don't have to do it a fourth time. And, you know, when we're thinking about documentation, especially, you know, within Paramify and, and the work that you guys are doing, like that stuff is great to be able to say, we've already built out our entire control environment. We've already done all of the cool, hard engineering problems. I don't want to sit down and write it all. I don't want to sit there and like explain all of this stuff. And so to have something that can come in and actually do all of that work for you so you can then go and do some other crazy engineering challenge like that's. Yeah, I mean, like worse still, right, is when you have to have a single person like a GRC person that knows nothing about terminating TLS on, you know, in FIPS mode. They they know nothing about that, right, on, from how to implement it or DevOps. When they have to write about how it has to happen, that's even worse, right, because then the document isn't even true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, none of your, none of, no policies and standards should be aspirational. Right. Like that's how that works. Um, you know, and, and I remind my clients of this, you know, when we're, when we're going through a lot of things, you know, with their policies and standards, like these need to reflect reality. And so if you've got policies and standards in your environment, uh, and they are not reflective of how things are done, you're just asking for trouble because, you know, as you know, as an auditor, and as I know, as an auditor, right, the first thing an auditor is going to come in and do is they're going to ask for all of that documentation. And the second thing they're going to do is say, show me that this is real. Exactly. Like, that's it. That's all. So so you got to make sure all of that documentation is reflective of reality. And if we can use tools like Paramify that actually just describe how reality is, then that's fantastic. Man, I love it. Okay, Ryan, uh, let's let's shift a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, but uh, who is your favorite member of the Fellowship and why? Um, I would have to let me think about that. That's a good one. Yeah, I um, I'd have to say Sam. Sam. Yeah, I like Sam. Sam is loyal to the end, and he's always there for his for for Frodo. Yeah, you know. He's uh, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but uh, you know he's always there for you, and you could always count on Sam, no matter what's going on. Even in the darkest part of Mordor, he was there to be with Frodo. So, you know, everybody else, you know, he had different heroes and things that they did, but Sam was always there. So yeah, I go for Sam. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you didn't say. Uh, someone told me Boromir. I'm not going to tell, like, if you're listening sure. for more, I'm like, okay, first that person doesn't exist. And also he died in the very first part. So it's like, yeah, Boromir, I mean, it's cool, but like every, there's value in each one. Anyway, sorry <laughs> for all you Boromir, Boromir fans. He said, I, I did enjoy uh, that scene in The Martian uh, oh. where, Sean, where Sean Bean was actually sitting in a meeting 
and they discussed the Council of Elrond. Right. <laughs> <laughs> up there, it's great. So good. I agree. I actually hadn't even. I've seen that movie once, and I usually catch on to things that are Lord of the. I think I do vaguely remember. Actually, okay. Um, all right. Um, any of you, uh, any books that you're digging right now? Any podcasts that you're uh, that you're really listening to a lot that are, you know, it doesn't have to be security focused, but anything. Yeah. So on the podcast front, uh, seriously risky business. Oh yeah, yeah. Those guys are hilarious. I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm uh, when I'm having my morning coffee, definitely that's that's part of the routine. Uh, it's good to start my day with with a little bit of security news in that space. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed that listening to that and it it's great like they they've just got great content. Yep. Um, as far as uh, as far as books go, you know I've got uh, I've got a couple things on my list right now. In fact, they're right maybe actually I've got uh, <laughs> how to tell a story. So how to tell a story is actually a book from the folks that that created the Moth, and the Moth is basically a collective of uh, people who tell stories. And the idea of the moth is that storytelling is the oldest form of entertainment. And it, it is the oldest way of communication. And we all have stories to tell. And it's a kind of a how-to book on how to tell your story and how to stand up in front of people and tell that story. And so, like, it's it's fascinating. And, and I, I got it because I think that stories are great. And I loved going to the moth and hearing people tell their stories, you know, of of love of of daily life of of whatever um and i think also in our profession there's there's so many stories to be told and to get things done oftentimes you need a good story and so both at a personal level and on a professional level i think that storytelling is super important and i just want to be better at it that's awesome i'm going to add it to my list ryan this has been awesome thanks for joining us on the paramify podcast and give it yeah, keep your insight into this evolving world of infosec thanks so much man yeah we'll to, good to chat yeah we'll have to do it again sometime thanks sounds good right. yep ciao